out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Good afternoon. It is an overcast afternoon during the last eking part of South by Southwest here in Austin, Texas. Welcome to the Unsanctioned Citizen. Um, Today we'll be guest joined by Gregor who I'm sure has just loaded with things to say about the Twitter files and Stanford's virality project. But before I, uh, before I unleash the Kraken here, um, which I do have some audio from, from Matt Taibbi d- describing and, and unpacking all of this uh, because he unleashed the story earlier this week. Uh, I just wanted to knock out a few other emerging news items that have come about in the last several hours, uh, one of which is that Twitter chief Elon Musk has said that the company would use artificial intelligence, or AI, to detect and highlight manipulation of public opinion on the platform in the coming months. And I guess that's in tandem, you know, biking in tandem with whatever is being uh, unearthed through the, the Twitter files and the method of Twitter files. Uh, as a transparency move. So uh, so that's item number one. The second item is that Donald Trump expects to be arrested. Expects to be arrested as soon as Tuesday next week um, due to a Manhattan probe for crimes. Uh, crimes that he has committed. And uh, I, I don't have any more information on that, but I... I hope that Gregor, who's usually pretty much better versed on direct politics than, than maybe even I am, uh, will we'll weigh in on whether or not uh, this is a, a political trial or if this is just, you know, him trying to get street cred before another election. Um, the other thing, the third, item number three, is an exclusive from Epoch Times. Uh, Jacob Chansley... And his lawyer intends to file to vacate his conviction. So, uh... That is something we will be waiting for. So, what does it say? Bill Shipley, the lawyer representing January 6th defendant Jacob Chansley, started the process of requesting the court to vacate Chansley's 41-month sentence next week. Shipley confirmed in an exclusive interview with the Epoch Times on Friday. Shipley said he intends to file a vacate conviction motion pursuant to 28 U.S. Code 2255. Remedies on motion attacking sentence next week. Pending government response to a letter he sent to the DOJ on Friday requesting information about Chansley's case. That provision in the law states that a prisoner in custody under sentence of a court established by act of Congress claiming the right to be released upon the ground that he that the sentence was imposed in violation of the U.S. Constitution or laws of the United States. So on Friday... Shipley sent a letter to the U.S. Attorney Kimberly Pichal to ask about the factual basis of the government's representation of Chansley's case in a separate lawsuit. He said he's prepping the battlefield for a prospective filing to request the court vacate Chansley's conviction. 
and that had much to do with the surveillance footage release. Shipley's move came as a part of the ripple effect from newly surfaced surveillance footage of the January 6, 2021 Capitol breach aired by Fox News' Tucker Carlson tonight on March 6. Among the footage was a clip showing Chansley unarmed, walking along with several Capitol police officers who didn't attempt to remove him from the Capitol building, which Carlson said shows that Chansley was not violent on January 6 of 2021. So I'll just pot down the uh, Jamiroquai. There's a silhouette of the old Jamiroquai that I've used to uh, <clears throat> illustrate poor Jacob Chansley in jail. But it, it also is the the icon for the virtual insanity rec- recording album. Ah, okay. Before I get uh, get into the Matt Taibbi clip uh, with Walter Kern, uh, do you want to say anything, Gregor, before we get, get launched into that direction? Because we're going to imp- unpack that for about 30 minutes. Of course, one has to unmute one's microphone before it'll work. How about that? <laughs> um, I hate it when I do that. Anyway, you mentioned you put me in charge of Trump. Fine, I'll do that. I just happened to have been reading about that this morning. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that these charges are all related to the SEC investigation he had two years ago or a year and a half ago that closed with a finding of no wrongdoing done. They're also based on the testimony for a proven liar who happens to be uh, in multiple occasions, I forgot the name of the guy, but I remember reading about him, and he testified under oath that he had no intentions for trying to work for the White House, but his tweets turned around, and, I mean, his uh, texts on his phone turned around and said, yeah, I want a job at the White House. So, I mean, the guy's a proven liar. I really think this is just political. The whole goal is to try to get him convicted of anything in order to get keep him out of the 24 election because... Though I disagree with this assessment, the assessment seems to be they can't beat him. So it, it's like it's extraordinary. It's like nothing well, I've ever well, seen in my again, lifetime. Again, it's, it's more stuff built on lies, which you know everyone yells and screams about the Russian collusion, which is all proven to be built on false information. And now I'm not saying that he did not have a non-disclosure agreement with this woman and that he did not pay her money. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that everything <laughs> occurred, from what we can tell, everything that was done was legal. Right. Right. So, I want to make it sure. I'm not, not, I'm not saying that Trump didn't do what he's accused of being. However, she signed a non-disclosure agreement in order to get money, and therefore the case should be closed. Um and there's lots of reasons people sign non-disclosure agreement. You know, maybe maybe she's not as guilty as I mean, she's not as innocent as everybody thinks she is, and she doesn't want to talk about it. Who knows? Doesn't matter. It's not relevant. It's a non-disclosure agreement. So, you know, they're they're trying to try him again for something he's already been essentially cleared of, not acquitted, cleared of. Well, I mean, I think that if it's the same charge, then it would be kind of a double jeopardy. So there's going to be some artful lawyering here. I want to see the the circus. You know, backflipping seals, and you know, the the the, the lawyer stick his head in the inside of the lion's mouth. You know, I, I really want to see all that. Well, well, because of the because of the crazy, um, you know, uh, what is it? 
dual sovereignty, where a state's law and a federal law, if they have the, both have the same law, a person can be charged with both crimes, even though it's the same mm-hmm. evidence, the same occurrence. Um, you know, there's there's that happens all the time where somebody on a gun charge will get a state charge and then convicted of that, they'll get a federal charge convicted of the exact same thing using the exact same evidence that's not considered um, uh, double jeopardy. Right. It's considered dual sovereignty. It's just a really stupid thing that they came up with. You know, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a legislator. I can't remember who it is. It might be Ted Cruz. Uh, he might have been a co-signer for a Senate bill to uh, basically... No, it was John Cornyn, uh, state senator of Texas, who uh, co-signed a bill to make gun ownership uh, the same as driver's licenses honored in every state in the United States so that if you get a gun permit in New Jersey, it will be honored in New York. So, which is a problem. Well, when, technically speaking, under the Constitution, that should be the case. It should be. but They shouldn't have to pass another law. It's just literally a Supreme Court decision that says if your marriage license and your driver's license is valid across state lines, so is your concealed carry permit. So they want the same standard for, for state permits, state gun permits, and apparently that's not explicit in the law, so they're going to try to make it so. And, you know, in these days and age when they're rolling back as much gun rights as, as they possibly can, um, I, I can't argue against it, but I'd like to hear more debate about it one way or the other. There might be things in the bill that, you know, call for a centralized background check. Uh, and, a, and a huge database on gun owners nationally. Um, I'm always a little bit more afraid of centralized uh, moves on on, um, on the governed. So I also wanted to, to bring up that uh, another thing this week, this is in the link section. If you go to the box where it says the unsanctioned citizen, and don't forget to invite all your friends, go to the man plus and just invite all your friends. We air here on... Call in every Saturday afternoon around 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, Again, go to the box where it says Unsanctioned Citizen. Push to the left, and you will see a series of news links uh, of all the things that we're going to feature here on the program. The last link is of Mike Ben Cyber of Twitter. He's a great source of information for this program, and I just wanted to indicate that his whole thread is packed with nothing but substantive information about everything that you would want to know about the Twitter files, about DARPA and the Pentagon. Like, here's one from 23 hours ago. Ask yourself why a government-funded social media censorship org specifically censoring COVID dissidents would draw its funding from the Department of Defense's Minerva initiative. Well, the Minerva initiative is the DOD program to fund the science of psychological operations. So that's the kind of stuff you're going to get on Mike Menz's feed. Uh, additionally, he had a video of himself um, letting us all know that there is a bill that passed both chambers of Congress and now sits on Biden's desk for signing that bans or, or injuncts or prohibits the federal government from coercing Internet companies, internet service providers, U.S. internet service providers um, to content moderate for them. So essentially, it is an anti-censorship action through a bill. And like Gregor had said, uh, what the issue is, is that it should be 
And, and he said the same thing. Mike Ben said the same thing is that it should be expressed through our first amendment that, you know, the government should be prohibited from doing this, but because they cannot limit themselves, there is an expression of law now that says you shall not do this to us. And that is the fruit of the Twitter files. So with that, Gregor, if you want to have two seconds to, you know, comment on that, I'm going to move right into the, the content. I need to set it up though. You don't mind a pattern. Um, yeah. And here's my challenge. And, and Somehow I got Michael Malice's attention today. We were tweeting about the verse, the Constitution. Versus That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. Right, he's such a smart guy. Anyway, um, we were we were discussing the difference between the um, Confederation of States and the Constitution. You know, they had the um, first well, the AS, ACF. Uh, whatever the constitution was called now, I guess we forgot it because, of course, I'm on the, I'm on the air. There's so but, many. Uh, we were talking about... <laughs> Are you thinking the Bill of Rights or the, the main, like, no, U.S. No, article? Oh, right 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 uh, uh, bother. Um, yeah, that that thing. That the, the thing, the thing, the thing. Um, coming so articulate, Gregor. So articulate. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm so, I'm so brilliant, right? Um, At the moment. The of Confeder- there it is. Articles of Confederation. There you go. The Constitution. And, um, you know, he was, the claim was that the Articles of Confedera- Confederation were superior to the U.S. Constitution. And my comment was, well, based on the fact that the folks in the area at the time did not think so, I would argue against that. And his return point was valid in the fact that the Constitution really increased the scope and strength of the federal government where the Articles of Confederation had kept that from happening. And his point as an anarchist, you know, he's he's an anarchist. um, He collected a great, uh, he had a great collection of essays essays called Anarchist Cookbook, which is an excellent um, read if you want to find out about what the anarchists really thought. Um, but, uh, and those essays were written by, you know, further out of time there, it's a collection of historical essays, but, uh, you know, his point was, is that, you know, it was the move towards federalism that generated the constitution. And maybe if we were to step back and go to the articles of confederation, mm-hmm. um, that we would be more free. And now I'm, of course, I'm going to have to hunt down that rabbit hole because I'm ADD and go dig that up and make sure he's <laughs> correct. But it was an interesting discussion and, you know, I can't argue against it in the fact that, you know, what we see now is an over. It, what we see now is even an overstep of the Constitution, a blatant, terrible overstep of the Constitution that started 130, 40 years ago. Yeah. And, um, okay. Well, and, we're gonna have to save it because uh, I, I cannot get this down to load. Uh, we we fixed one problem. I got my intro and outro going, uh, but if I try to load up any more sound, oh, hang on here. My app's getting a little cuckoo. Anyways, uh, if I try to upload the sound, it, it's not quite working properly. Colin is a dear and dear and dear uh, platform, uh, but sometimes their tech has some hiccups. And so we're going to move into the uh, interview now uh, where Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern unpacked this for about 30 minutes. So sit back, get a a beverage of your choice and some popcorn and listen closely because this is what the virality project is. And it is pretty scary. 
It is all the things that, that make you neurotic and paranoid, and it just, in fact, happens to be true, unfortunately. Anyway, anyway um, yeah, let's get let's get down to it. You just released a new Twitter files thread on on Twitter, mm-hmm. and its subject was something called the Virality Project from mm-hmm. my favorite university now, Stanford University, which seems to have fully folded itself into the batter of the censorship state um, and uh, created a product. Uh, that, that that you inspected rather carefully um, that allowed them to do what exactly? So this is um, this is a direct consequence of you know about a month ago when I started to see that there was in the Twitter files this problem of there being too many of these state sponsored. Um, think tanks that are doing disinformation work for me to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to invest some money in hiring a bunch of bodies to help research this and brought in some people who really know this world a little bit and some like ex-military folks and uh, some other people who kind of know this world. And um, so they went through a lot of this material and Right before, like literally an hour, probably before the, um, we had to submit our statements for the hearing last week. Um, one of these researchers found this node of emails involving Stan- Stanford's Virality Project, and the essence of them was th- there were two big stories embedded in this email chain. One of them was that Stanford, with the backing of a number of partners and some government agencies, had created a cross-platform, single digital ticketing system that was processing censorship requests for all of them. Facebook, Google, TikTok, YouTube, um, Pinterest, Medium, Twitter. which is, you know, significant enough, right? You would think that would be an antitrust issue, like some other stuff in there. And then the second thing is they they specifically outlined from the very beginning that um, true stories that promote hesitancy were on were what the, something they defined officially as um, standard misinformation on your platform. And so this thread that we did is basically we we went through every instance of what we could find um, of them defining true things as disinformation or misinformation or malinformation. And the, the, the takeaway that you come from this is that they, they really, this is an innovation. It's, it's a, it's a new evolution of, of the disinformation process away from trying to figure out what's true and what's not and just mm-hmm. going directly to political narrative. Um, so, and- so, so I noticed in the thread that the virality people who are now targeting vaccine hesitancy and so-called COVID misinformation also pointed out that this enterprise was an extension of what they'd done with the election. Yes. 
Yes, they, 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 words, done, mm -hmm. they were using a tool that had been perfected during the uh, 2020 election and, and, and training this canon on the COVID subject. Yeah, so, so in the summer of 2020, Stanford created the Election Integrity Partnership. And there was a video of, it, of its director, this guy, Alex Stamos, who came from Facebook, saying that um, CISA, the DHS agency, um, would like to do election monitoring, but, you know, is, is limited legally. So... Mm -hmm. Stanford is going to step in and, quote, fill the gap for CISA. And so Stanford has no hesitation in doing what is illegal for the government to do. <laughs> basically, basically, yes. And they openly describe themselves with the EIP. They openly describe themselves as partners of CISA. Um, and we, we thought it was interesting because we found in the Twitter files We'd find these these emails that say from CISA escalated by EIP. So what's CISA again? It's the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. They use <laughs> uh, security twice in the same name, but mm -hmm. it's it's the subdivision of the Department of Homeland Security, which is now responsible for disinformation. This is this is. This is where the Ministry of Truth is going to be born, um, mm -hmm. probably. Right. And they tried to create the Disinformation Governance Board. Remember with that crazy woman, uh, Nina Jankowitz, mm -hmm. the Mary Poppins person? Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Is it, hasn't she recently been, uh, been panhandling on social media for mm -hmm. uh, legal uh, fee help? Uh, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So the... The thing that she was going to be in charge of, which was the sort of universal uh, government effort at combating uh, disinformation, which they've now dis they've now officially termed um, critical infrastructure, the information landscape. Um, right. So, so us talking to each other is the equivalent of like power lines and interstate highways mm -hmm. now. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Depending on what we talk about, but especially if we talk about elections or whatever. Um, so she was going to be in charge of that. And this thing, the Virality Project, uh, I'm pretty sure was the dry run for that that thing, the Disinformation right. Governance Board. Because right. they at the, at the conclusion of, of their um, work, and on April 26, 2022, they recommended that DHS create a, um, a center of excellence that would do what they do. And the next day, uh, the DHS Secretary Mayorkas announced that they had just created a disinformation governance board um, with mm -hmm. Nina Jankowitz at the head of it. Um, mm -hmm. So, but this idea of having a a universal single digital processing ticketing system that touches all the networks, including the alternative ones like Getter and um, Parler, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. takes in all the content. And the scary thing from the point of view of, you know, a free speech purist here, there's a lot of scary things, but like you could say something 
and get banned for it on one platform, and now all the other platforms know about that. And so you'll be, your, your history will be fed into this big computer. It's kind of like the, you know, the credit uh, score system. Um, it reminds me of Scientology, the suppressive person. Suppressive person. person. Who is, the person mm -hmm. who is disloyal and or heretical uh, within a cult. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so they, they approached Twitter in early 2021 about signing on to this thing. They give them an onboarding packet. They have to... They have to log into this thing called Jira, which they have internally. They have their own Jira system inside Twitter, which is just a program that helps you decide how to, you know, what content to ban. But now they have a big Jira. It's like a global Jira. And, um, and they start sending out reports about themes that they want to address. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a big COVID person. I, I I never got spun up about this issue. I got the shot. I didn't really spend a lot of time worrying about it, um, except from the speech angle. Mm -hmm. But reading through these stories uh, for the first for the first time really gave me um, serious pause about. Uh, about a lot of these stories and made me wonder if I had been very seriously misinformed because they they made a conscious effort to suppress true stories of people who had had vaccine injury, um, vaccine side effects who died after vaccines, celebrity deaths after vaccines. Um, there was a school closure in upstate New York where a bunch of teachers got sick after getting the vaccine and they wanted to suppress that story. Um, Did those teachers allegedly get sick from the vaccine or they just got sick from COVID showing that the vaccine wasn't effective? No, they got sick right after they took the vaccine. Okay. Now, again, you can't, you can't prove causality in these situations. And that's, that's one of the difficulties about a lot of these things. But, you'd have, you know, you had these stories. People would drop dead an hour after they get the vaccine or they get myocarditis or thrombocytopenia or whatever that is. Um and um, and so these this group took these true stories, and it was never alleged that they were made up. No, no, just you that they were unhelpful to the narrative that was being pushed at the time. Yeah, you see in the reports they will describe these stories as as true. Mm -hmm. um, and they will, they will, they won't skirt around it. They won't say like, you know, possible. They'll say, this is a true story. Um, for instance, there was a leak of, um, what they call the cyber attack. Some hacker got hold of some documents, uh, in Europe showing that the rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine had been accompanied with serious side effects and blood clots. And they mm -hmm. they characterize that as a as a cyber attack, and um, and they admit that it's a true story, but they framed it as a disinformation event because the wrong people were retweeting it. And this is a key concept that they keep coming back to, which is they they're not looking at truth versus untruth; they're looking at the political consequence 
of the story. And the, one of the first ways that they figure out whether a thing is on narrative or off narrative is who's retweeting the story. If RFK Jr. is retweeting the story, and they had this incredible, terrifying phrase to describe um, well-known offenders like RFK Jr. They said God, there's well. a, there, uh, I, I should read this because this is this is so scary. I, I, for some reason, nobody else thought this was as bad as I did. Um, but uh, here it is. The uh, known repeat offenders, false or meeting, misleading posts from the <laughs> accounts of well-known repeat offenders such as Robert F. Kennedy. Um, this is a large volume of content that is almost always reportable. So... <laughs> So what they're saying is basically anything that Robert F. Kennedy says is going to be is almost always going to be reportable. They're working backwards from who the person is to decide whether or not that's a good story. In but another it's, instance, but it's it's entirely circular too because the reason Robert Kennedy is a you know is a distrusted person is because he has said other things in the past that have offended them. And so, uh, you know, it's not, it's not as though he has a record or criminal record or, you know, has, has been proven to be a liar in some fashion. It's only because he's spoken un, inconvenient or un, uh, unapproved uh, truths in the past. Um, uh, in other words, what makes you, what makes you an offender and thus, than a repeat offender is that you you know pissed them off or or or, or strayed from the narrative in the past. So uh, uh, you know it, it's not proceeding from any uh, basic uh, criticism or critique of Robert Kennedy as a person. Uh, no, and these aren't again these aren't health experts that are making th these decisions. These are these are disinformation experts who aren't expert in anything except this and this right. is is the science of algorithmically detecting um off narrative content so there's right. another mm -hmm. so so in other words just to review this little bit we've traveled already misinformation disinformation whatever you want to call it comes can, can be true stuff that comes from the wrong people. Mm -hmm. It can be true stuff that is unhelpful to the project we're trying to advance. Um, and it can be true stuff that comes too early, too. I mean, we haven't gotten to that yet. But. Oh, God, yeah, that's that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, they are, the, the word I use in this is they are the, extravagantly wrong these these folks they 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 are continually mistaken about all kinds of things but um i, I wanted to read first this this um this thing that they cited um as an example of what they're um how they respond to certain news stories mm -hmm. so there's a disinformation event in their weekly bulletin and it says, after CDC changes its methodology for counting COVID-19 cases among vaccinated people, anti-vaccine activists push vaccine efficacy concerns. 
Then there's a little bullet point. It says the CDC announced that COVID-19 cases among vaccinated people will only be counted if they require hospitalization or result in death to maintain better data on quote breakthrough cases post-vaccination. Now this is in the in the period when they were still not they still didn't know that break, breakthrough cases were incredibly common and that the vaccine wasn't terribly effective in preventing transmission. Um, and so they were, they were in this sort of netherworld of trying to assert that the vaccines worked um, to prevent you from getting the disease. Mm-hmm. So when the CDC did this, because they were clearly trying to drive down the number of COVID cases, uh, breakthrough cases. In the vaccinated. Among the vaccinated. So yeah. they only did this change for vaccinated people. Right. Right. Um, naturally, it says, uh, you know, the top 10 posts on this from a Medical Freedom Instagram account received 7,000 likes. The Children's Health Defense also published an article and, su- and was subsequently tweeted by anti-vaccine abs- activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um Another popular YouTube video from anti-vaccine activist, activist What's-Her-Face has been viewed over 60,000 times. Takeaway, the decision to be restrictive in counting breakthrough cases is seen as hypocrisy and, among some communities, suggestive of a cover-up. So, which it is. Which it is, but, like, you could read that a couple of ways as this is a subtle way of telling that this, you know, people that the CDC maybe shouldn't have done that, but that's not the guidance that they're giving to these platforms. The platforms are good. The the guidance that they're getting is this isn't so good for the CDC. It's encouraging hesitancy. Um, It's, it's empowering Robert F. Kennedy. It's making us look like hypocrites. Um, And they're using words like hypocrisy that we, that we don't like. Well, so, I mean, Matt, I mean, I, I'm unwilling to be so quite so charitable. What it sounds like to me is they're catching us. Uh, they're, they're catching on. Uh, they're noticing that uh, we aren't giving them the full story. And noticing is going to be censored now. Uh, noticing that you are being misled. Noticing that you aren't being given... Uh, total uh, information on the situation is now itself becoming a second order sin. You know, in other words, if the first order sin is is reporting true stuff that um, we don't want, the second order sin is starting to talk about the fact that the truth is being suppressed. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're... If you have any doubts and if you show interest in stories that might raise your doubts, then this is a disinformation event. And why do they why are they worried about this? Because they are again, they're not focused on true versus untrue. They are intensely focused on the question of authority and obedience. Yes. So yeah. there is an amazing report by one of the partners of the, the Virality Project, which is this company, um, Graphica, 
and Graphica is a DOD-funded uh, DARPA-partnered organization run by a guy named Ben Nimmo, who used to be a NATO press secretary. Mm-hmm. And um, they ran a, um, a piece called FOHI, you know, that, uh, that, that joke that people were making, F-O-U-X-I, um, about right. Anthony Fauci. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's called FOHI, Undermining Authoritative Health Sources. Uh, the June, June 1st release of thousands of Dr. Anthony Fauci's emails um, gave the public a glimpse into the challenges experienced by U.S. government officials in the early days of the pandemic. Um, they alleged, they, the, some alleged that they revealed deep ties to the Chinese government, dishonesty in public communications about the lab leak theory of the virus, and otherwise nefarious intentions for prolonging the, the pandemic and lying to the public. Now, this was bad, they said, because it undermined authority, not because, uh, well, that could be the only reason it's bad, <laughs> because if you believe in the truth, it's good. Right, right. And and this is what they go on to say. Um, they say uh, this tactic is not incidental. For years, incentivized influencers have repeatedly undermined and delegitimized authoritative health sources Public, institution, public health institutions and health experts. This continual process of seeding doubt and uncertainty in authoritative voices leads to a society that finds it too challenging to identify what's true or false. Um, I, I can barely sit in my seat when I hear that. Sorry, Matt. Uh, so for them, the breakdown of trust comes not from the fact that we've got official Defense Department uh, sponsored and Stanford University led um, uh, truth suppression algorithms out there. It's because people uh, are are finding things out that are counter to the narratives that are being given them by the government. In other words, here is a defense of authority as such, the importance of authority as such. You know, mm-hmm. the long tradition of uh, 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 of challenging power and speaking truth to power is now in itself a danger to the USA. Uh, Right, right, because... Power must be trusted. Power must be trusted because the people cannot sort stuff out unless they have a strong respect for authority and they're guided by authoritative voices. Absent that, we have chaos. So, but, but these people who are working in these places <clears throat> know firsthand that the people can't sort things out because the people aren't allowed to sort things out because we are not allowing them. So their concern over people coming to uh, rational conclusions about reality are completely, uh, uh, completely made up. Their very jobs depend on preventing people from doing that. Um, you know, who are these robots and why do they have such consensus? Do you ever see memos saying, hey, man, you know, uh, the fact that we're suppressing news about real uh, vaccine injuries is probably not helping the matter out there in TV land either. Um, Well, exactly. And, 
you know, in the last month or so, I've, I've had a few calls from people who worked in this world who have left um, after having exchanges with some of the people named in these stories where, you know, they would say things like, um, are we really sure that we're experts in this stuff? Like, what, what gives us the expertise to talk about all these issues and, and such a variety of them? Um, and, you know, having that not go over well, like, the, I heard another story about somebody who was from a former communist country who was in the room for, for some of these meetings and who raised the question that, hey, having a centralized arbiter of what's true and what's not, um, I've been there, like, that, that, that's not a good idea. And having them just sort of gloss over that little moment in the meeting. So there, there are some dissenting voices, but they're not speaking. That's the problem. And we're back in business, my friends. Now we enter the talk portion of the show where maybe we we uh, we get involved with some of the uh, correspondence and some of the other news items that I have. I covered about three of them, so I can blow through a couple more and then and then we'll take take questions and discussion. Uh, one is that the CFPB, which is the uh, financial Com- consumer Financial Protection Bureau, has launched an inquiry into companies that track and collect information on people's personal lives. And this is these are the data brokers. So public input will help to inform planned rulemaking under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So in issuing this new request for information, the CFPB wants to understand the full scope and breadth of data brokers and their business practices, their impact on the daily lives of consumers, and whether they are all playing by the same rules. This request is a chance for the public to share feedback about companies that play a significant role in people's lives and the economy. Uh, this feedback will shed light on the current state of an industry that largely operates out of public view and infor- inform the CFPB's future work to ensure that these companies comply with federal law. So, I mean, it, I have always argued that they are SEC violators, securities violators, because they have never con consorted with the data owners about you know how and where this goes um so that will be my chief input argument if uh if and as i i do this um so i encourage all of the listeners to kind of investigate this more thoroughly think about what they think about <laughs> and and say what you want to say to the cfpb on on the matter uh quote modern day data surveillance practices have allowed companies to hover over our digital lives and monetize our most sensitive data, said CFPB Director Rohit Chopra. Our inquiry will inform whether the rules under the Fair Credit Reporting Act or the FCRA reflect these market realities. Uh, I think it needs an update, but I'll just move on to the next news item. There's also a new standard for anonymization in identity. Uh, privacy experts can now rely on a new standard, the ISO IEC 27559 colon 2022 Privacy Enhancing Data De-Identification Framework. So it's live. You can look at it and use it. Uh, it's an area that has been the subject of much discuss, discuss and development. It's, uh, it's a framework that will play an important role in establishing 
best practices for reuse and sharing of data about people. It's made from people. Finally, um, there is quite a, a long one here from uh, Congress Congress minutes uh, about Ron DeSantis and uh, and Politico. Let me see here. Joe Biden's archivist. Oh, coalition of privacy-minded outside groups and lawmakers are outlining sweeping changes to an end of the year surveillance deadline. This is directly impacting FISA and the Section 702 that has just been a stick in the craw of every civil libertarian nationwide, possibly internationally. Um, it's the latest sign that the Biden administration's push to extend the program lar- largely is falling flat. So the news is the new pressure is building on and off Capitol Hill for Congress to use an end-of-the-year deadline on 702 to make sweeping changes to not only the program, but the broader FISA Act. So uh, Glenn Greenwald did do some some reporting on that. I think he's just trying to get ahead of it, scaring out all of the, uh, the, the arguments that drive everybody absolutely bananas. Um, so he did a show on that, I think, on Thursday. So I'll try to get that for you in the notes. Uh, blah, blah. So that that's all I have for you. I think that's the castle. Oh, uh, one last one. Last but definitely not least, the daughter of one of three missing women in Mexico has not lost hope. Um, this is from Benitas, Texas. The daughter of one of the two sisters from Texas who went missing in Mexico along with her friend three weeks ago while traveling to a flea market says she hasn't lost hope that they'll be located. We are waiting for them to come back home. Maria Guadalupe Ramirez, 27, told KRGV-TV in Wellasco. The FBI said in a statement Thursday that it was unable to comment on the investigation, but said the agency relentlessly pursues all options when it comes to protecting the American people, and this doesn't change when they are endangered across the border. The three women, Ramirez's mother, Marina Perez-Rios, 48, Ramirez's aunt, Maritza Trinidad Perez-Rios, 47, and their friend, Dora Alicia Cervantes-Science, sorry, 53, were headed to a flea market to sell clothes in a Mexican city of Montemorelos in the state of Nuevo Leon. So the state prosecutor's office in Nuevo Leon said that it is investigating the women's disappearance. So I'm going to leave it there. All right, that's it. That's the whole thing. The whole thing. That's everything. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's great. Um, <laughs> gotta love, gotta love uh, the fact that they're censoring John F. Kennedy Jr. because they think he's going to say something. Because they he of things that he has said before as a thought criminal in the past, they've they've already decided who their thought criminals are. Yeah, well, and and you know, from what I understand, he didn't say anything that was actually inaccurate. Um, you know, the only thing, the, the only difference. Apparently, that didn't was, matter. <laughs> it didn't matter. Well, yeah, the the only difference between what was, you know, what was disinformation in January of 2021 and and truth now is a year. You know, every so many things that we were told was wrong, we found out are true. Um, and and an interesting thing, our Congress actually agreed on something in relation to the whole COVID thing. Um, that was interesting this week that there was 419 to zero vote in order to declassify all the Wuhan stuff. Unbelievable. Um, 
Well, it's a bipartisan thing, but be, of course, Biden's probably going to veto it, so... Well, we'll see. I mean, if he actually vetoes it, but there's a two-third vote that that has to, you know, and there's going to be several things that he doesn't want to sign. He's going to have to, like, you know, eat the frog and sign sign the bill because the American people want the law. And do an executive order that reprimands it because that's what he does because he is the Fuhrer. Has he done that during his term? Well, he's already been taken to court several times on his executive orders. They've been overturned, and he turned around and did them again. Well, I don't think he's playing with a full deck, and I think that I can say that with with a hundred percent of my own special opinion here. <laughs> well, I, I think what's what even worse is his entire because you can bet he sits down and signs what they put in front of him. I'm with you; he doesn't play a full full deck. But what blows my mind is that he has people that are telling him do the executive order again. They obviously have no concept of what law is. Yeah, I think that's foreign. You know, and I've said that on other podcasts is that when people who have no concept or have no navigation of our law think by brute force, brute force uh, policy making that they're actually going to get their way, but they don't understand how our our form of government functions or works. So uh, you take somebody who is essentially feeble minded and they're taking um they're taking legal advisories from a someone who is either mentally ill, meaning like they, they are overly brute in their in their force of, of happening. Like they don't understand the law. They they are in fact ignorant of the law. They could be American. But frequently I have found that that people who administrate an international law uh, and typically throw their weight around will do that so it could be one or both or either but in in any event that is ignorance trying to say well i'm just going to brute force this as a matter of lawfare and and punish the dissenters and that's how it's going to go and that's just not that's not american law well and i'm with you on that and you know uh, vivek washashwami vivek yeah, Vivek uh, Ravaswami. Yeah, 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 Vivek Ravaswami. I think he is his name. <laughs> he's a he's actually thrown his hat in the ring for presidential candidate. Yeah, Strive, Strive Management. Um, and uh, you know he has some really interesting things to say about his powers as a uh, president that are constitutional, based in law. Um, you know, one of the things he would do is start firing people, even though Congress says he can't. But his point is, Article 2 says he can't. Um, you know, so hopefully he'll at least, I don't know if he can win or not. Right now, he personally has my vote, but that's beside the point. It's still got 18 months or more. You know, we still got a while for the election. It's okay but, to keep uh, shopping. I'm going to keep shopping. I, yeah, I, I I'm going to keep shopping, but it's just, it's just <laughs> like at least there's a discussion going on that, you know, it. To me, as some would call radical, and I like it because it's radical based in law, and that's something we've been missing for the last two two years and change. So, I mean, I, I don't have any problems with uh, getting more political diversity in in the foray because we need it. We just need new new voices, new blood, new ideas, uh, new new everything. And, you know, people who are willing to try to, to run this country in a positive direction. Um, because what we have right now is, is really, 
It's it's decay. That's what we have. We have decay and then a bunch of termite parasites that are coming in to try to feed on the host. And that's not our country. Like we're we have an, a great integrity, but the leadership is is decaying. And we need, you know, and that's the, the veritable de- description of corruption. That's what corruption is. They are corrupt. They are corrupted. And um, so all of these, you know, comorbid feeders that come along and, you know, just they just take the kleptocratic capital that comes down the pipeline. And it's it's a whole a whole smattering of problems that come along with being corrupt or decaying. So we need new and fresh and an integral, um, just something new to take it up a notch. Just something, something else. I'm not trying to advocate for anything other than, you know, we, we need constitutional governance. People who, who recognize the, the, the government, <laughs> the articles of our government. It's not too hard. The guidelines of the Constitution are something to be followed, not something to be overcome. Or or dispatched. You yeah. know, <laughs> like, oh, this crappy old document. Wait a minute, that's our sovereignty right there. And, and um, Oh, I love that word, sovereignty. There's so much, to, we don't use it anymore, and I really think people don't understand how important it is as an individual person to recognize and to, exer- and to exercise your sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, that I'm word with of the day, it. sovereignty. So sovereignty has a lot, you know, because it is the power of the individual. You know, the individual in this country is sovereign. And it starts with individual rights and individual liberties. But collectivist, you know, and this is the this is the complete failing of, of collectivism in general, is that it can be decapitated and you know, you core you take the head and you put a different head on there. And you've got a different government all of a sudden. You know, all the centralized systems, you know, you can kill the snake with one swipe of the, of the sword. And, you know, that's not how we want our power to really be. We want decentralized power. And decentralized power is run by a group of individuals. It's, it's, it's where you trust the governed a little, a lot. A lot more than these people. These people are afraid. One of the most striking things that came out of the Twitter hearings and watching Ron... Or is it is it Goldman? Is it, is it Ron Goldman? But the, the Representative Goldman. Is that it, it made me sure that they are afraid of the people of the United States of America. They're afraid of us. And I, I don't know why. I don't know Ron... You know, I, I, I don't well, know Levi Strauss, but he's terrified. He's terri- terrified of independent thinking people. What will happen if I have a different opinion about a vaccine that that he already took? What difference does it make? Well, Daniel Goldman is Daniel It's Goldman, Daniel. Yeah. Daniel, sorry. Yes, Ron right. Goldman's a different guy. Right. No, I just wanted, I just looked it up so we could make sure the record was correct. That's all. Um, but... You know, and, and it's all, but it really is all about their vision and power. Um, they keep saying that we need to become more socialist, more like China, which is communist, but that's beside the point. Um, 
And they're afraid that if we wake up and realize, just like it has happened every other time communism has been tried outside of Russia, it will fail. And uh, I just read this week, I just read a chapter, um, or the week before last, I just read a chapter out of... uh, planned chaos where they were talking about how all of the revolutions in the early 1900s for communism failed dramatically. It only worked in Russia, and that was only because there was a configuration of events that occurred, including Germany's support of Stalin, uh, the Kaiser Wilhelm's support of Vladimir Stalin, or Vladimir um, Lenin. Lenin, yeah. So, I mean, if you know, and it's just communism would not have worked if it would not have occurred in Russia had it not been for the Kaiser Germany. Um, and it's just, you know, we and so they it needs power to in order to affirm. And if we take the power away from them, which is what our government is supposed to be, read the 5,000 year leap, a great book, mm-hmm. um, then you know, we would, everybody would be much happier, except for they'd have to be responsible for themselves. And I guess apparently that's not something we desire. Yeah. And I I think that all communism ever is, is it's a laundered version of postmodern feudalism. It's feudalism. It turns into that because it has to. Because, and, and that never, that didn't work out in the feudal times in the dark ages. So it, because it didn't work then, it doesn't mean it's going to work now, and that's why it always fails. Well, I, I will argue that feudalism worked for thousands of years, but notice what you got from it. You got a agrarian, local farming community basis where we did not have really cool cell phones and amazing technology and amazing health benefits. And, you know, you, Innovation. Lived, you were 35 or 40 instead of 70, 75. 80 now we're approaching in some case well it used to be approaching right right and you know and when the king king can walk outside and say you know what i think it's 76 degrees outside tell tell the kingdom that it is 76 degrees outside and screw this thermometer i find it offensive that's what you would get in feudalism and that's what goes on in china well and and that's what they're trying to promote with climate change and all these other things. We're trying to get people scared and listening to, you know, quote the authority. Um, one of my, one of the most fascinating statistics to study is the rise in ocean temperature, rise in ocean levels now, in, you know, globally. If you really study the ocean levels globally, I don't understand how they say they're rising because if you look at like, for example, where, uh, where Obama bought his, his wonderful big house, right on the coast, it's rising at a few millimeters per year. You know, in a, in a hundred years, it may rise six inches. If you go to Bergen, Norway, and measure over the last 120 years, it hasn't risen at all. Guess what? All the oceans are connected. So why is it not rising in Bergen? Why is it rising in Long Island? I mean, in, in Martha's Vineyard. You know, well, and, and the thing is, the is that those are localized sciences, Gregor, and, and there's room for that. But the problem is, is that it's based on trusting the scientists rather than, okay, show me your research pool. You know, I would like to challenge, and then then a duke out between scientists over results and showing different positive, you know, the, the scientific method will work. Um, and, you know, dueling researchers actually makes an important 
contribution to holistic sciences all over the place. I don't know why people all of a sudden got so terrified and afraid of peer-reviewed research. And so this was one of the things that got thrown in the trash during COVID. Rational, peer-reviewed sciences that that everybody relied on and and, and gained trust in the medical community community as a science um, just said, you know what? The narrative is king, and that is what is trusted. It's because the leaders were scared, stupid, and they decided what's true. We're going to stick with one narrative, and everybody else can just go go away. And we can't have people running the nation or the world who are in a posture of scared stupid, for one. So we got to look into that. We have to look into uh, Daniel Goldman is running things scared stupid, right? We got to look into that. We can't have emotional legislating, okay, that is run by a group of, of rich narcissists. We can't do that. That's not going to amount to anything except for broad destruction of humanity. It's typical. So that about wraps the talk portion of this episode of the Unsanctioned Citizen. Uh, for the complete talk version of this call episode as aired at callin.com, uh, please check the links in the link uh, sources below in this episode. There will be also news and other links in the sources. So check that for future. We air on Saturdays, typically between 1 and 3 p.m. Um, to begin. And then we go on for an hour, hour and a half with talk at callin.com. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Um, hopefully you'll subscribe and come on along and give us your opinions and, and join the discussion. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.